Hey everybody, this is Xi Xiao. This is yet a new episode of Salesforce Web Podcast. Today I'm sitting with a new guest. He's a Salesforce developer. He was originally from Brazil. He has lived in Europe for a couple of years, and now he's settled in Australia. Leo Alves. Hello, Leo. Hey, Xi. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Would you still like to introduce yourself a bit more? Yeah, that's fine. So my name is Leo. Like you said, I'm originally from Brazil. Been like trying to find my place in the world. Spent a few years in Europe. Realized that's too cold for me, and hoping to settle in Australia.、Uh, work as a developer, just、uh, your classical coder. Just love being behind a computer, just、uh, typing away as much as I can. You really lived in different continents. I have indeed. It's one of those things that was never planned. I just、uh, I left Brazil nine months ago and nine years ago for nine months, and never went back. Wow! And you lived in Dublin, and then you go to Netherlands somewhere in Amsterdam somewhere. It was Amsterdam, indeed. Yeah. Okay. All right.、Yeah. And how did you then go to Australia? You on purpose want to go there, or? Yeah, it was one of those things. I tried to. Get used to a bit of a life in Northern Europe, a bit of a different weather to Brazil. I loved a lot of things about、uh, Northern Europe, especially around lifestyle, around openness and tolerance. It was very different to what I was used to, but very, very cold, rainy, very dark. I I did my best. I tried to get used <laughs> to it, and I realized it wasn't for me. And、um, I thought Australia was a good middle ground. Yeah.、Uh, one day maybe I invite you to Finland just as a tourist to enjoy the really darkness and the winter. <laughs> I don't know. I I think I'll pass. I might go for the company, but not for the darkness. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. So, Leo, what do you do right now specifically in work in your role? I'm a software engineer at a company called Athena Home Loans. We are a fintech fintech that provides、uh, digital home loans. We're a bit of an alternative to most of the big banks in Australia that have a really slow process, and you have to go to the bank to an advisor. Our process is different in the sense that everything is digital and everything is much faster. And that's my main job. And I also work in a startup with my brother. We're building a new product slash service. It's nothing related to Salesforce at all. It's a tool that analyzes content in blogs. That lets content creators get an insight on how people interact with the content they create. So that's a startup idea. That's a startup idea. It's a very early stages. Okay. Yeah, it's we are still trying, still building the product, is still looking for an investor or investors. It's very, it's still a very early idea. So now you are a software engineer. I can see that you are not only focusing on Salesforce development, but you do something outside of Salesforce. But what was your background? So my background previous to Salesforce, even I was working and I did I studied as well in business. So I have a background first in sales and purchase. That's what I did before.、And、I studied business. I was very much business focused. And then as part of my career, I realized, look, I'm not really happy doing this. I'm always just calling people and just trying to sell something. I don't even. Very often, I was like, I don't even care so much about what I'm selling. It wasn't really for me, and then a few. I started like considering what my career options were, and then I found it was, it's funnily and funnily enough, I picked up one of those books at a train station, programming for dummies, and I was like, this looks really interesting, and then that's how my interest for IT sparked up. 
Okay. What was the the book content in in that dummy book? Is it uh, some programming language? It was HTML, CSS, and JavaScript for dummies. Ah, okay. So it's a web browser technology. And you found it fascinating? Yeah, I was like, this is really interesting. This is very different from what I'm doing. And it wasn't like I was looking for a career. It was like, oh, different subject. And then I read the first book and then I read... It was very much, very much like that. Okay, so that was the point that you started to look into computer-related technologies, right? That's, that's and you right. didn't feel difficult at all at that moment, did you? I wouldn't say it felt difficult because it felt like very much like a hobby. It wasn't, there was no pressure to learn. It was just like, I'm going to pick up a book. I picked up a book on a different subject. I was like, hmm, this is different from anything I've seen before. I haven't studied anything computer-wise, in, like anything computer in university, anything technology-focused. It was very much business-focused. So when I first picked up the subject, it was just different and interesting. So that was my first contact with programming at all. Okay. Because this is really interesting. In the past, in this podcast, I also talked with Susanna Sanchermann. She had a musical background. She shifted over to a technical architect, Salesforce. And she also recommended that people should who doesn't have a computer background really try programming a bit further. It's not that difficult. But for a lot of people who has the sales background or some other background, it just seemed difficult. Like you are studying mathematicals, like a calculus, a lot of different symbols you don't understand at all. But uh, compute is not that difficult, I, I, I would assume, comparing to mathematics. <laughs> yeah, I can say like I have zero math skills. I compare them at least programming is much more of a craftsmanship than the maths and logic. I know you need to have some logic. I know you need to have some basic understanding of math concepts, but like I'm really bad at them. So I tell a lot of, a lot of people say, when I say I do, I'm a programmer, I hear often, it's like, oh, uh, oh, I'm terrible in maths. I will never be a programmer. And I'm like, you have no idea how terrible I am. I failed in maths every time in school, every year I failed. So it's not like I have a very strong maths background. I think of programming a lot of like, there's a very artistic, creative aspect to it. It's not so much maths. Yeah, indeed. So sometimes I compare it with like a DIY related works or some, let's say, plumber jobs. You just connecting the pipes. So for computer, it's just a bit virtual. It's intangible. So it makes people, uh, it feels uh, it's it's difficult, but if you can see those pipes when you are building the function, the functions, the methods, the objects, they are basically connecting different things together and make it work. So, if for our listeners, if you're not like a computer background and you want to be more technical, definitely really give it a try for the programming part. Give it a try for a month or two at least, then you will see it's really not that difficult at all. So. That's the moment you start to touch browser-related technology. How did you end up in Salesforce? So at the time that I was that I first got in touch with programming, I was living in Ireland and I had just met a meta girl. It was a new relationship. It was like I was there. I was I had arrived in September. I met her 
like a month after. And then eventually we started dating. And then I realized, crap, I'm leaving in six months. But this is going really well. And I really like her. So let me try to look for a job. I was like, okay, let me try to. I don't care. I just want to stay for a while just to see where this is going. And she's Irish, Irish-Dutch. So you will also understand why I ended up in Amsterdam. I just said to her, I said, look, I'm not sure if I'm going to stay. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm going to look for a job. I'm willing to give it a shot at staying here for a bit longer. Applied for a job at a tech support um, company. It was one of those big outsourcing companies that companies outsource all their support to or part of their support to. And they were very secretive about it. They didn't say who it was for, which company they were interviewing for. They just said somebody could speak Portuguese and some Spanish, and they could start, somebody could start immediately. And I said, look, I'm ready. Just, I can start immediately. And they were, they asked me, do you know Salesforce? And I said, no, but I want a job. Just give me anything. I'll do anything you give me. And, and they, they explained, okay, this is for uh, tech support for a company called Salesforce. And you won't, you won't work for Salesforce directly. You will work with, for us, but you would attend to Salesforce customers. And I said, sure, that's fine. Took the job, started working as tech support in Salesforce for Salesforce. I had no idea what, like, it was a big thing. Back then it wasn't that big. It wasn't as big as it is. It is when was that? What year? 2012. So it was before the time of Trailhead. It was before uh, there was a lot of certifications. It was very early. It was also a, a time that some people who knew Salesforce well could know pretty much everything that was to the platform. I wouldn't say premium, but like, it was much smaller. It wasn't, there weren't that many products. There were not many clouds exactly. And started looking into it, I said the community, I started participating in all the different events, the community was super open. I was like, well, sure, I'll learn how to program on this because this seemed to be a thing. There was back then the 501 certification, the 401. I was like, okay, maybe there is a career here for me. And I kind of fell to Salesforce, you know, I didn't really plan to learn Salesforce. And I kind of, and then I just jumped into it and I said, I'm going to learn, I'm going to just learn how this technology and eventually that's how I started and then that's how I ended up. But for getting a job, you have zero knowledge about Salesforce at all. Am I right? Yeah. And uh, what skills do you have? You picked up the dummy book and that's all. Do you have trained yeah. something else? Yeah. No, not in technology. I just had picked up that book and it was even something that was like, I, I, re I had read that book, but then... I was, I needed to learn Salesforce. So I kind of forgot programming for a few months because I needed to do my job well, especially because I wanted to stay in Ireland. It, it turned out too well because I ended up marrying that girl. So oh, okay. it was a good investment. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah. yeah, so on that job, what did you do? Do you need to program? No, not at all. On that job, I would just pick up calls and say, hey, what's your username? And then I the the person who was calling on on the on the 62 org the big salesforce org that has access to every customer not to every customer data but um, to where every customer is registered and then would write down a case and say hey this person is experiencing abc try to triage and then once every every information was written on the case 
just save that and then it goes to the next year, the next person. It was very much triage of cases. So that's how I started. And then after I started troubleshooting uh, issues with Salesforce, issues with workflow rules, issues with escalation rules, was before the time of process builder. And funnily enough, I, I wasn't allowed to do any coding as part of the job, but I used to troubleshoot uh, Apex code, even though I wasn't an Apex coder and I was, it wasn't part of my job. I was to be like, okay, this looks programming related. Let me try to understand. I didn't quite understand that well, but that already got me a little introduction to Apex. By using dev consoles, I would assume. Yeah. Okay. So that job gave you experience of working on the platform overall, right? You have the declarative tools, you need the troubleshooting. Sometimes you also need to touch the programming part as well. And uh, is that after that job, you went over to Netherlands? No, that's not yet. So after, after a job, so at the end, we were all made redundant. Salesforce um, decided to send part of their support to a different country just to spread the basically spread the work through more suppliers. And I was unfortunately part of a batch of several tech support agents that were made uh, redundant. And I started working for a period. So I started working there as a junior developer. That was my first experience working as a developer. While I was learning on the job, I was also doing some studies on the side, uh, just doing a little bit of a bit more formal studies on programming. So I, I signed up for those uh, coding academies and started studying Salesforce documentation. And then I was offered that job in uh, Aperio as a junior developer. So those were covered by the company as the training opportunities. Okay. Yeah, that's correct. That's like yeah. a formal uh, programming learning path for you. Yeah, and that's pretty much it, yeah. Mm. And then after that, you went over to Netherlands because your wife yeah. is going there? Yeah, we just decided let's go a bit closer to her culture, her language. It was a bit of more, let's, uh, she has family there. We decided to go there for a while. Was it you get, got a job first, then you move over, or did you land Netherlands first? No, I, I had something sorted out initially there just to set myself up a little bit more organized, let's say. That's uh, which year was it? 2016. Because I'm trying to get the timeline here because you started 2012 and then four years after you went over to the Netherlands. I see it's the upside wave trend for Salesforce as well. It was going rapid, like expand rapidly. I would assume it was easy for you to get the Salesforce developer job in Netherlands as well, is it? Yeah, it was uh, at that time around 2016, it was already booming everywhere. It was, there were a lot of jobs throughout Europe and Netherlands as well. It was quite a, yeah, it was quite simple too. I'm very thankful, of course, but it was very easy to find something at the time. Okay. And you stayed in that company for a couple of years as also as a Salesforce developer? Yeah. So in the Netherlands, I, I worked majority of my time for two companies. And one of them was where I worked as a Salesforce developer. It was a company called Gideon. And in that company, I also made the switch to from Salesforce to start looking into other technologies. That's where I found a bit of a niche, let's say, because um, I started just doing Salesforce work. And then 
I mentioned to my back then to my hiring manager, I said, look, I, I'm interested in doing stuff outside of Salesforce. So I want to do other things as well. And then I realized there was a massive niche in the market just by talking to recruiters and other colleagues. I realized there wasn't a lot of people who could do a bit of both. It was either very much Salesforce focused folks or um, open source, whatever you want to call it, technology focused. And even a, li a little bit of friction between the two, like a lot of people who don't do Salesforce don't want to touch Salesforce. A lot of people who do Salesforce don't want to touch something else. So I noticed, I was like, oh, this is a good market to, to play. This is a good market to, let's say, position myself in, because then you can be a bit of bridge between two technologies, two worlds, let's say. And yeah, so I worked in two companies, basically, for the majority of my time in the Netherlands. So what kind of other technology stack have you touched? So I've worked on a few and by no means I am a, an expert on all of them. But I totally I, understand. <laughs> and so I worked with uh, Java and Spring Boot and then uh, TypeScript and Serverless and then Ruby on Rails. Majority of the work that I've done outside of Salesforce in these uh, this combinations, these uh, three combinations. So you personally, you decided you want to look outside of Salesforce. That's your own motivation, right? You feel there's a niche and you want to position yourself in that niche. It's not somebody else wants you to do outside of Salesforce stuff. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. But I will tell you how, let's say, my interest got sparked by I would say, why, why should I look at this elsewhere? So around 2015 or 16, if I'm not wrong, I started, I started, I was really happy with my career. I was doing well. I was certified. I was, uh, I had a more senior position. And I thought, well, life is going well. I'm going to become a, a technical architect and then I'll become a CTA, kind of like the path that everyone follows in the Salesforce world. And then I just thought, I always, I've always been the kind of person who really enjoys podcasts. I really learn from podcasts, from learning from other people, from seeing what other people are doing in technology. And I was, I was like, let me look for a Salesforce podcast. And then I found one called Good Day, Sir. You probably, you yeah, yeah, of, the good of course, of course. Yeah. And sometimes I wonder where, where my career would be if I hadn't found that podcast because um, John and Jeremy. They're both very seasoned software engineers, and they complain about Salesforce a lot. And I was like, man, these guys, what are you talking about? What, what's wrong with Salesforce? Salesforce is amazing. Salesforce is great. Like, I was like, I don't know if they, they know what they're talking about, to be honest. And I was like, but it kind of like, it put a little seed in my mind that I was like, okay, confused, but I'm going to go look. And then I was like, man, these guys are right. It kind of, I this I started like learning. I started I started initially with um, JavaScript and Node.js. I was like, wow, if I could develop in Salesforce the way this technology works, it would be amazing. And then, love man, once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like it's crazy how how just looking outside opens your mind. Yeah, indeed, that's also one of the reasons in this podcast. We are not just uh, Salesforce related. We also open the bit to other part of the world to let people to open uh, the eye views. Not only open source stuff, even like Microsoft technology, it's also really good to learn from. 
And uh, indeed, the Salesforce is young comparing to all the other big companies. So there are a lot of things our ecosystem definitely need to learn from them as well. So that was the moment you get uh, the door opened for you, right? And then you started to learn the servers and uh, whatever the JavaScript part and the uh, Ruby on Rails as well, you mentioned. So what kind of real benefit did you get, get out of that in terms of work? You know, if you don't bring the benefit back to your work, then it's harder to justify that uh, uh, investment, at least in terms of the, the working hours. I would say, first of all, like, like I said, it opens your mind. Like very often, if you only know one way of solving a problem, you will always tend to solve it in a very similar way, in a sense that, like, how do I explain this? Let's say if you are in a meeting with a bunch of your coworkers, everyone is a Salesforce consultant, every solution will be a Salesforce solution. Everything will be thought of in Salesforce terms. But Salesforce is a tool in a toolbox that is very good and suitable for some things, but not so good for others. So to start off, you can think of solutions in a very, um, in a very holistic way to, to be like, this is where Salesforce should be positioned as a solution for my company, for this project, for whatever. But this is not something we should do because Salesforce won't do this well. And you already can think of how you can pitch them, basically patch things together to create a better solution instead of just finding the best Salesforce way to solve a general problem. That makes sense. Do you have any real examples that you did because of this, you know, this openness that you had? So let me think of a couple of examples. So in my previous company, we had a, a situation that we were trying to integrate Salesforce with a Kinesis stream ticket, which is basically, are you familiar with Kafka? I heard the name. I know what it is. Brief us what it is. Yeah. So Kinesis is, a, is an AWS managed service for data streaming, basically. So you have all kinds of services that are connected to, to Kinesis and they can stream data into it. And then you have publishers who are streaming data. And you have subscribers who are listening to data. It's very much like platform events work inside of Salesforce. So, but we had a lot more events that then you would normally have to deal with in a Salesforce context because you had several microservices. If I'm not wrong, we had around 40 microservices and all of them generating a bunch of data and all of that was being streamed into Kinesis. And then we had a Lambda function that was just taking every one of those events and send it to Salesforce. One go, like Salesforce was listening to everything, was just just basically sending each one of them to Salesforce. But what happened is that we started dealing with concurrency issues because all kinds of events are going into Salesforce, but then we, Salesforce didn't get them in the correct order. And sometimes it needed to, the second event in order to process the first. Sometimes let's say you can create an account before there, you can create a contact before there is an account, but sometimes the contact would get there before the account and same thing with opportunities. So you kind of had a specific order in the Salesforce world that you're like first in the Salesforce world, you need to at least have an, an account to be able to insert an, an opportunity in a contact, let's say, for example. But then these hundreds and thousands of events were going uh, super fast in Salesforce and then Salesforce was just not able to handle them. So we had to build our, 
or a retry logic into Salesforce to make sure that if one event fails, then it gets saved into an event store. And then basically all of the background jobs that Salesforce gives you, the queueables and batchables, they were being consumed by trying to deal with events that were outside of Salesforce. So we built this service that instead of sending everything into Salesforce, just buffered everything and say, okay, is this ready for Salesforce? And it is, and then send it as a single REST call, single atomic REST call to do one thing. Then we weren't plugging Salesforce up anymore. We're just sending it to Salesforce at the right time. So we solved a problem that you know, it would have been much more difficult to solve in the world of Apex and the world of Salesforce by saying, hey, Salesforce is not going to be able to handle this in one go. Let's bulkify it outside of Salesforce. And then when it's ready, we send it over. And I'm aware that we discussed it would have been possible to solve this problem in Salesforce as well. But we just thought, what is Salesforce really good for? Salesforce is a really good CRM. Would that this have been possible in Apex? It would, and we kind of built something that it worked, but it didn't work as well as when we took it outside of Salesforce because we took a technology that was very performant and it was able to do a lot of things very expressively that in Apex, it was a lot more difficult. So I kind of rewrote the whole thing you said was because your team hit this problem that a platform event couldn't really handle all the situations. There are sequential calls you need to do inside Salesforce. There are all different complex incoming events as well. So so platform events couldn't handle all the situations so that you need some other tools to chip in. But what are the other tools? If everybody is just Salesforce developer, you have only Salesforce related tools, which couldn't mm-hmm. solve this problem. But it, for you, because you know a bit of AWS, and then you look from AWS, there's another tool that can really complement the platform events. So you took that one in and it went well. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So indeed, that means it's good to have the whole team with diversified profile, right? Not just Salesforce developer. If everybody just knows the same thing, and why do I need so many developers, right? Yeah. <laughs> I could yeah. just have one or two. <laughs> I tend to say whenever I talk to people, especially um, folks who are starting a career in the Salesforce system, in the Salesforce ecosystem, I say, don't be a Salesforce developer, be a developer working in Salesforce. Salesforce is very, very specific. It's a very good career in the sense that there are many opportunities. You learn a lot. You come across some really intelligent folk. But in the end, Salesforce is a tool. Salesforce, like many tools, might go away one day. Think about SAP 10, 20 years ago. It was a hot thing. And now it's not anymore. Now you see that a lot of people from SAP come into Salesforce. And if you learn how to be a developer in terms of general software engineering skills, in the end, you will benefit from it. Indeed. Indeed. And uh, even look at the CTA path. It's a difficult journey for people who get to the CTA. Still, they are not just a Salesforce related. I heard it. there are a lot of soft skills, presentation skills, project manager skills. So those are not just Salesforce related. Of course, you need to know the platform well, but there are 
a large portion are not just Salesforce related. They can use those skills outside of Salesforce. If one day Salesforce went down, went south, you need to find the second career path. That's also, I always advocate that we want to be a software engineer. We don't want to be just a Salesforce developer. And it's really add value to your Salesforce developer journey. People will see, okay, you are a professional developer. You are not just uh, knowing the Salesforce-related stuff. You can give different proposals from different angles. Yeah, exactly. And you really notice if you ever, if you try to recruit, if you're looking for a Salesforce developer or somebody who's going to perform a Salesforce developer role, you really struggle to find um, developers with good software engineering skills. So it's one big recommendation that I have, just say, learn some good software engineering. It's not just about Salesforce and Trailhead and, and trigger handlers. There is a whole world of people who have solved problems for the last 40, 50 years in software. Why do we need to, why do we not learn from them as well? Why not look elsewhere and just say, hey, how other people have solved similar problems? It's quite interesting. In one of the previous episodes, I talked with Uncle Bob about uh, his, his ideas around the software engineering. He recommended to me to a really old video series. It's about this CISP uh, book. It's uh, Compute Science Structure and Interpretation, something like that. It's a really good uh, book about Lisp language, but the thing is that everything introduced in that video series that we are using now in our mainstream technology, like uh, how to do promise calls, like in JavaScript, all those promises, and how to really buffer the data in an elegant way in all those microservices as well. So all those things in AD, the video was recorded in 1984, even before I was born, kind of like everything is already you know, conquered by those computer science engineers. And now we're just reuse the concept they are doing. We're just applying those things. So if you learn those fundamentals, your skills are never outdated, at least that's what I see. I completely agree with you. It's really funny to to come across a node concept and or watch a presentation by somebody and they're like, I've discovered this new thing. And it's, if you, depending on what it is, you're like, actually, it's been discovered 30 years ago. You just, I don't know if, um, I don't know if it's a thing that young people don't like to look at uh, older stuff because uh, it's old and it's not, uh, not as fun, but there is a lot of wisdom and knowledge that we should all learn. We should all learn from the previous generations. Yeah, I think nobody is like uh, motivated to, read the old books like in 1970s, 1980s, or even 1990s. I mean, people are just read the book that are just published and then read the text over there. But there are indeed a lot of wisdoms from the, the last generations, let's say. Yeah. But what tips do you give to the others um, to learn things outside of Salesforce? Because it takes time. Where do you get the time? I'd say the first thing, Try to learn on the job, right? Always have, it's very difficult to, if you don't, you currently don't have a manager who supports you. But in general, I wouldn't say if you're a junior developer, if you're a junior developer, it's a bit more difficult. But if you're like very senior in your career, you can 
sometimes say, hey, I need some I, I need some time to learn something else. And if you have a hiring manager who's like, no, you're not working for the right person, right? I've read once that people don't leave companies, they leave managers. So have a hiring manager that facilitates you. That was pretty much my story. I had a hiring manager, his name is Yoris. And I told him, Yoris, I want to learn. Can you help me? And he created the space for me. He looked for projects. He's like, okay, there is a project happening in that team. You're going to work in that project. It wasn't like he said, oh, no, you're going to need a pay cut because you're not paid to do this. It's not like, oh, you need to learn your own time. He's going to be like, no, you're valuable and I care and I want you to be happy. Otherwise, you won't stay here. You're going to go somewhere else. So first first thing is um, just go and find a hiring manager who can help you and facilitate your career path. I, I totally agree with that. You, especially your direct manager who you report to, if he or she fully supports you, she or he understands the importance of learning surrounding your technology. This is not about like I'm doing computer science, but I go to learn making some tables, you know, right? That's totally different stuff. But here it's really surrounding your software Software engineering skills, I would say those are all should be supported. And it also motivates you as an employee to work better for the company. I think to me, it's a win-win. I would say as well, a few more things like, um, which something I did consider at the time, but ended up, it happened well with Yoris, but depending where you are in your career, consider a career break from sales for say, hey, I'm going to try something else. As I said, like it might be complicated depending on where you are in your career. We have families, we have, might have a lot of bills. So depending on where you are, it might not be possible, but something for you to consider. And also, I say this, I can't say this enough, but maybe forget, it's not for everyone, but maybe forget the mindset that you need to become a CTA because you see this on developers, on developer career paths. I'm a developer and then I'm going to be a senior developer and then I'm going to be a tech director and then I'm going to become a CTA. It's a good goal. I'm not going to criticize the fact that somebody might be, want to become a CTA, but being the best software engineer you can be is also a really good goal. And a CTA and a really good software engineer complement itself. I really disagree that CTA is the top of the pyramid because a really good CTA with a bunch of incompetent cop, uh, software engineers, you're going to have a great implementation in paper. But will it scale well? Will it be an implementation you're actually going to look at and be like, this is something I'm proud of. This is something we as a team are proud of. Just consider that because I think I blame Salesforce marketing a little bit on that. And they need more CTAs. They need more people to become CTAs. I've considered becoming a CTA for a long time. But I just say, like, maybe CTA is not the career path for everyone. Maybe we shouldn't think of it as being, okay, I now I know everything. It's, or now I've achieved the pinnacle. It's like you can be, there are many pinnacles in this world. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Leo. I think that's all we wanted to talk with you. So thanks for sharing your journey. And especially I love the motivation you had about your own career. You know exactly what you want to do. And then you really go after that. So that's great tip for me and for our listeners. Thanks, Thank Leo. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. your time. See you next time then. Yeah. See you. Yeah. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm constantly looking for good guests. If you have any guest recommendation, please reach me out. 
I'll make sure they are joining to the show to share their knowledge. Otherwise, thanks for listening to the show. I'll see you next Thursday.